welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, it's Pastured Pig Podcast time again, and so glad you all decided to join us, that you've downloaded our podcast or that it's automatically popped up in your feed. (laughs) Either way, I'll take it. This episode, we're kind of coming at the interview process a little differently. Um, A while back, a couple weeks ago, I had put out a call uh, asking people that are, are brand new in pastured pigs, if they consider themselves a novice or just starting out, that we'd like to hear from them and, and interview them. So I've got a couple interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks uh, involving that, where uh, some people graciously stepped forward and said, yeah, I'm new at this. I've only been at it maybe a year or, or a year and a half, two years type of thing. Uh, so we've got some interviews coming up uh, that uh, from that perspective. And I think you're going to find it interesting. I, I enjoyed talking with these people. But before we get into that, uh, just some some quick updates um, here on the farm at Red Tool House, we've uh, finally gotten some rain after seven weeks of, of uh, complete drought to dryness. We've had, uh, had a little bit of rain, although it was only about a half inch, so it really didn't do much. But I think there's some more uh, forecasted in the, uh, in the remainder of this week, so we're hoping that'll, that'll come. Um, I definitely feel very confident now that my two sows have settled. Uh, we've now missed two heat cycles for each. Uh, no swelling, no stand, no discharge. Um, actually seeing a little bit of shape to their uh, bellies, actually a little firmness there. So I think we're uh, I think we're in the clear so far. We'll see how that goes as we move up. That puts us at a farrowing date of November the 24th, I believe. Uh, and we're going to have some videos detailing that and even building up. Uh, uh, we're actually working on new farrowing barns, so um, uh, we'll we'll have that on our YouTube channel. But uh, got a lot going on here in the next couple months to be ready for that. One more quick note. <laughs> We will be at, I think I mentioned this a while back or or a couple episodes ago, we will be at the Homesteaders of America Conference in October. Uh, That's down in Front Royal, Virginia. So I know uh, our our audience overlaps a little bit with uh, homesteading. So uh, if you happen to be at that uh, event, uh, look for us, yell at us. Um, I'll be the tall, goofy-looking dude, uh, probably wearing my red toolhouse hat since that's all I wear. Uh, So just check us out. Come up and say hi if you see us. Well... As I mentioned, uh, you know, first-timers just getting started in pastured pigs, um, wanted to get people's opinions and their perspective of, of just, just diving into that. So tonight we have um, Jack Polner, and he's with the Mindful Homestead, and that's up in New Hampshire. And Jack's only been at this, uh, he's, he's got one year under his belt of raising pigs on pasture. So uh, I appreciate him coming on, I appreciate him sharing his, uh, his story with us. So we'll dive right into that uh, interview with him now. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. I am very glad you all take the time to listen and to be a part of the podcast. I appreciate all the feedback we've been getting. Um, Tonight, uh, we're going a little different with our interviews, and I'm excited about kind of going in this direction. I have several lined up this way, people that have just started in Pastured Pigs. So I think it's it's important to look at different perspectives, and I think it's important to... uh, to see how people are getting started out. Uh, so tonight we have Jack Polner with us. Uh, he's up in New Hampshire on the Mindful Homestead, and this is his first year getting into pastured pigs. So, uh, J- Jack, welcome. 
Thanks for having me, Troy. All right. Well, so uh, in New Hampshire, you said, and I believe you said this is your first year in raising pastured pigs? This is our first first attempt at making a go of uh, doing the pastured pig thing, yes. Got it. Okay, so um, so this will be uh, – bear with me. This will be kind of – I'm excited to do this. It will be kind of fun. So uh, – so let's do just a little bit of background. So are, are you a farmer by trade? Do you have any farm experience? I am not necessarily a farmer by trade. Um, we've had chickens for a couple years now. And my wife and I, we were getting our pork from a friend up in Maine who raised mangalitsas. Uh, and about a year ago, um, he decided he was going to be kind of getting out of the pork business, uh, if you will. It was just a side hobby for him. And since we didn't have a kind of readily available supply of uh, pastured pork, he had offered one of his uh, mangalitsa pigs uh, to us. And we had looked into kind of the ins and outs of raising mangalitsas for, for meat rather than lard. And um, the breed didn't really appeal to us, but the idea of kind of bringing our own pigs in and, and taking on kind of the task of raising our own pork uh, did appeal to us. And we just kind of jumped in this past uh, spring with both, you know, both feet, my wife and I. Okay. So you did start, you ended up starting with the Mangalitsa? We didn't start with the Mangalitsa. No, we we found a local woman um, who uh, has a farrowing operation, relatively small. um, And she was selling uh, Landrace Yorkshire crosses. She has a Landrace sow and a Yorkshire boar. Um, She had come recommended through a few friends that we talked to, and we ended up getting our piglets from her. Oh, okay. Great. Great. All right. So uh, in New Hampshire, I was actually up in your neck of the woods just a couple weeks ago. Oh, were you? Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we were doing a uh, doing a Maine trip or a, a New England trip, ended up in Maine, but uh, came through. Of course, we had to do Mount Washington when we got to New Hampshire. So that's one of the uh, the standbys that you got to do when you're in town. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, as a, a West Virginian who's been proud of his mountain heritage, I got a little white knuckle driving up to the top of Mount Washington. That was uh, that was a little <laughs> precarious in a couple of places. So. It's a pretty good drive. I mean, I won't say I'm used to it now living up here for a long time, but um, but it, it's one of those things where it gets a little bit less un- unnerving every time you go take somebody up there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, your farm, how, how, how much uh, land do you have set aside for your pig operation? So we're on 10 and a half acres um, and we're still relatively pretty small with what's actually dedicated to the pigs. Uh, we are of the 10 and a half acres that we have, probably 95% of that is forested um, split half and half between softwoods, uh, a lot of spruce and white pine uh, and hardwoods, which are maple Oak and some beech in there as well. Um, so when we made the decision to kind of bring pigs in the first kind of hang up that we had was, well, where are we going to put them? Um, and that kind of led us to look at forest pasturing as an option, which I didn't even realize that existed. Yeah. Um, but that's what we kind of ended up doing, and it's worked out well so far. Okay, so so let's back up. So as you as you were able to find uh, this lady that had uh, had some pigs that had recent farrowed, and, and you uh, decided to get some from her, what was your um, a? How many did you go with, and what was your rationale to pick that number? We were planning on two. Um, the rationale there is that we know pigs do best in pairs. You know, we didn't want to raise just one, um, and we figured that one would be steady for us as, as far as the supply. Uh, it's just my wife, myself, and our one-year-old daughter. Um, but we knew that it was kind of better for the pig to raise at least two. Uh, so we were planning on going with two. When we spoke to the woman that had the farrowing operation, 
she had mentioned that she had three left and she wasn't really interested in breaking them up. Mm -hmm. Um, She kind of just wanted to finish off with that, with that operation there. Um, So we ended up taking in three and the way it worked out was um, we had a couple friends that were interested in pork. uh, So we did half shares there. And then um, my parents actually ended up taking a half share as well. So we ended up having all of the pork accounted for um, virtually within the first few weeks that we had the pigs. So we just, we decided to jump right in and go with three for our first run. And uh, they're on about an acre of land now. So we have room to kind of grow that operation and scale it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's great. I think three, three is always the magic number. I, I recommend when people ask me about getting started because it's the, uh, you know, same mentality there. Keep one for yourself, sell one to a friend to help offset the cost of the feed, maybe even cover the cost of the feed. And then the third one, you can decide whether you're going to continue your herd and use that as, as breeding stock. Yeah. And it helped too, that we had had, we had had uh, about 16 chickens for just over a year. And we had recently kind of scaled that up. We're at around 35 chickens now. Um, and it kind of brought into focus that when you're raising animals, I mean, the amount of labor involved going from you know, relatively small numbers higher is not necessarily too involved. So when she said she wanted to sell us three and we just kind of looked at each other and said, all right, well, how much harder could raising three instead of two be? Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's a scalability. There's some hard benchmarks at certain scalability, but you're exactly right. Yeah. That two to three to five, you know, really not that much more effort there. Nope. Okay, so uh, so right now, so you're talking about having uh, uh, all of this forest land, and it sounds like you listed off some pretty good hardwoods there. So, having them on that one acre in the in the woods, have they been able to access mass? How, how have you seen uh, how they've handled the the one acre of pasture so far? How have they treated it? They've treated it pretty well. Um, when we first brought them in there, it was relatively uh, overgrown. Um, there was a lot of kind of understory, uh, you know, green mass that they were able to access. And they went after that pretty quickly, um, which was great for them. They were eating a lot of, you know, young birch trees that were growing up. Um, and that was a, a viable source of mass that they actually went after, uh, which was pretty cool. Now, as we're moving into fall, we ended up, they were, they were born uh, April 15th. So we have our slaughter date set for early November, or sorry, early December. Um, we're actually working with uh, Dan Profit of um, Mobile Butcher Pete's mobile yeah, meat. I know you awesome. had on before. Yeah. And we're do. working with him. Um, so we actually have our slaughter date a little bit later than some people that start pigs earlier around here. Uh, and what that's allowing us to do is right now we actually have acorns dropping from a lot of the oaks, um, kind of the first round. And that's a mass crop that they've actually been able to access as well. Um, to the point where if you walk through that space where we have them, you won't find any acorns on the ground at this point. Yeah. Yeah, they're excellent. pretty quick about getting them hoovered up. <laughs> they are. They are little vacuums. <laughs> All right. So, um, so again, thinking about getting started, what um, you, you described why you why you chose pigs? Of course, you had the source. Uh, you were getting your pastured uh, pork from a, from a friend or from a neighbor there, and that went away. But um, at that point, did you decide? Uh, was it because of your experience with chickens? You say, "Hey, I, I think we can do this. Let's take this on." Yeah, we had had, um, obviously having, having a daughter, you know, that just entered our family last September. Um, we had kind of taken a good hard look at where a lot of our food comes from. Um, I'm a hunter and fisher just by my nature as well. Um, so we had always had, you know, venison and fish that I'd caught, um, as part of our food supply in the house. Uh, and we had kind of made the loose 
decision when we moved onto this property a few years ago that by 2020, we'd like to have a large portion of the food that we consume um, generated by us um, or by, you know, somebody that we knew. Um, obviously, with our land the way it is, we knew we weren't going to take on a beef cow or anything like that. Um, but because of the versatile nature of pigs, it was kind of the next logical step for us where, okay, we're not getting our pork from our friend Tommy anymore. Maybe we can, you know, do this ourselves. And it's worked out pretty well so far. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, what preparation, uh, so the, you're getting up to the day that you're going to go get these pigs and bring them home. Uh, what was your prep like? Are, are, were you were you prepared well in advance or was it kind of fly by the seat of your pants? It was a little bit of both. Um, I had been watching YouTube videos for a while. It's an awesome resource mm-hmm. uh, for kind of the new homesteader or new pig pasture pig raiser out there. Um, there are tons and tons of videos accessible, both on an extremely technical level, you know, if you want to get into the nitty gritty or just from a broad kind of bird's eye view at everything. Um, that was a resource I had used. Um, the pastured pig group on Facebook, which I know you've spoken about before. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an awesome resource as well. I could get in there and ask some questions. Um, but really I had, I had their water set up. We're using a 55 gallon drum with a nipple, uh, put into it. Um, that was done well in advance. I had a 16 by 16 enclosure for the piglets before we trained them to electric. That was done well in advance. But uh, but I built an eight by four pig house and then I built a um, a self-serve feeder uh, that we could use if we go on a weekend trip or something like that. And both of those were done, I would say, the day before we brought the pigs home, if not maybe a day or two after when it was totally finished and hammered out. Well, if I were to tell my story, when I first got started, you had been way more prepared than I. <laughs> That's excellent. Well, okay, so um, so you you've had them on uh, on pasture all this year. Now you talked about uh, finish date going into December, and with New Hampshire weather, is how's that going to affect when when snow going to start blowing up there? We've had snow as early as October, um, and it's not typical to get a significant snowfall in October or November for us. Um, if there is an issue where it comes down to that, um, we kind of have a contingency plan that we can access some hog panels pretty quickly and get a a more permanent enclosure set up. Uh, We have them on two strand electric right now through the woods, um, which kind of ran the, the best and best of both worlds, but also the worst of both worlds. Um, It's obviously not providing a lot of uh, enclosure for them. If we were to get, you know, a foot and a half of snow on the ground, um, they'd be able to either bust right through it. And it's not providing a lot in the way of protection against predators either. Hmm. Um, but as far as moving it and being able to kind of access them to more areas, um, we are looking to kind of expand that territory in the next couple of weeks. Um, so they're able to access more of that mast. Um, the two strand is great for that. But if it does come down to it, where if we have a, a significant snow snowfall forecasted, um, the plan is essentially to just, grab a whole bunch of hog panels and start hammering tea stakes into the ground before it freezes solid to get them, uh, in a more permanent enclosure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, uh, talking about your two strand through the woods. Um, so two things there, you, you kind of mentioned, uh, predation. What, uh, what predator issues do you have up there? And have you, have you seen any sign? Have you come close with anything? I haven't come close really. Um, the only concern that I had mainly was coyotes in the area. Uh, we do have black bears. However, they're not generally going to give livestock a hard time. Um, We haven't seen, I mean, we've seen black bears more often at our bird feeders in the front of the house than 
trying to get into the chicken cooper in the back. Um, coyotes really were the only concern that we had. And uh, on the East Coast, they're not necessarily as much of an issue with pigs. I was worried about it because I know from a deer hunter standpoint, they do prey on, on deer around here. Um, but a lot of people I spoke to said they don't worry about coyotes, and we haven't seen an issue so far. Um, we do allow our dogs to kind of run around the backyard. They're not in with the pigs, but they are on the other side of the fence. And I feel like their scent kind of keeps coyotes away as well. Yeah, and I've discovered, you know, we have coyotes in, here in West Virginia, and it's, it seems mm-hmm. to me that uh, coyote, just like uh, just like a dog or even our cats, we notice they really can pick up on that electric fence. And, yeah, and they, know, they know something's different about it. And we're in with the pigs every day, too. Um, our top wire is at 18 inches, and I actually will go in there. Uh, we feed them largely on the ground, um, so I'm in there every day. I'll, I'll put their food on the ground, and they can eat it and give them snacks. And my scent is definitely kicking around the, the enclosure as well as the pigs. So yeah, I think the coyotes are kind of – they've got plenty of woods around that they can go and run around in. So they, they kind of leave the pigs alone. Okay. Well, you had mentioned deer, and here in West Virginia we have issue I- – in fact, I went back and replaced all of my uh, uh, pasture wire with, I went from 17 gauge to, down to 14 gauge because the deer mm-hmm. just keep blowing our 17 gauge open and, and tearing it up. Do you have issues with deer or in, in your count, maybe moose up there? Uh, we do have moose in the area. I haven't had any issues with moose um, or deer getting into our fence. Like I said, our top wire is at 18 inches and we're using, um, we're using metal T-stakes at the corners with plastic kind of step-in posts in between. Uh, and I feel like if that, if a deer came through and kind of blew it over, it would end up knocking the fence over. I like to think that the pigs are happy enough in there and we keep them well fed that they wouldn't really run amok. Um, if it does happen, it's, it's kind of going to be a surprise for us. Uh, being that we're a little bit on the smaller side of things, uh, we didn't invest in a perimeter fence for our first season. So we're kind of winging it and hoping that if something like that happens, the pigs will just kind of stay local. Well, and I, and I think you're onto something there. I, I think you know, when you look at this, again, it becomes a balance of infrastructure. How much money do I throw at this in the initial as I'm just testing this out? Uh, there's times, you know, I found myself saying, wow, I really wish I'd have gone ahead and done this because now I'm, I'm paying for it. Or, wow, I really overdid this. But that's a good point. You know, when you look at your setting, so you're 10 and a half acres. Are you, uh, are you pretty rural? Do you have a lot of neighbors around you where an escape pig is going to become an issue? We're pretty rural. It's not something where um, we do have neighbors around. Uh, and if the pigs were to get out, they may make their way over to a neighbor's uh, property. But it's not, there's not so many people around where it would ever really become an issue. I think it would be more be along the lines of I'd be getting a phone call and it would be, hey, your, your pigs are over at my house. You know, come get them. Um, the advantage for me is that I work mostly from home. Mm-hmm. So it, it does provide me the ability to kind of wander out there, you know, once or twice a day um, and kind of put eyes on the pigs and make sure they're around. And if they're not around, I would know pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's you know, obviously that's a nice benefit of being able to work from home and keep an eye yep. uh, on the farm there. But but you're right in my experience and I, and I think everyone kind of is afraid that hey my pig got out he's 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 going to disappear. You know, in your case he may be in Vermont or in Maine within a day because he's just going to book it out of here. And and we've discovered that as as a pig knows knows where its food source is. It knows where the comforts are. So it's going to return to that situation unless it's, it's gotten spooked or, or totally lost its direction. But yeah, they usually always come back home. And I think it's a balance that a lot of um, small time producers have a hard time figuring out their first couple of years is that 
you don't want to get too attached to it because obviously the, the pig is a food source for you uh, and, it, and it's going to be becoming a food source and it's not a pet. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's important for a lot of people to understand that they're very intelligent animals. And if you make friends with it and essentially become, you know, the provider for that pig and it recognizes that they're not necessarily going to want to leave uh, unless there's, you know, like you said, they get spooked or if they're not getting fed or there's not enough water or some reason. Mm-hmm. So along those lines of food and, and water, how, what have you found as far as your feed? What what are you using? What are you trying? Are you trying different things with, with your three? So we're using, um, as of right now, we're feeding uh, a Poulin swine grower. Um, it's kind of a standard full ration hog feed. Um, because of our sort of lack of knowledge on the, uh, the mask side of things and how much that actually produces for them, um, we were feeding them up until last week. Uh, we were going by a, a formula that somebody had given me of um, one pound per f- one pound of food per head uh, for each month of that each month of the pig's age. Hmm. Um, so they were about four months old. Uh, we've, we've been giving them four pounds a day each. Uh, I put a tape measure on them the other day, and I kind of used the tape measure to estimate where their weight was at, mm-hmm. um, and actually posted in the the past or the pasture pig Facebook group uh, to get some feedback and. Based on that feedback, we're going to be going to um, free choice feed for the next, uh, basically to finish them out yeah. um, to see how their weight ends up being. We're shooting for a 250 finish weight. Um, I know the tape measure method is a little bit unreliable to some people. Uh, the numbers I worked out said that the one pig I, I te- checked was at 120 pounds. Um, obviously, that seems like it's a little low based on mm. my visual analysis of it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the tape measure doesn't necessarily lie. So we're going to go to free choice and, and let them kind of decide what's best for them. Yeah. So if I have, so April, yeah, do my math here. How old are they now? Uh, so April, May, June, July, August, September, about five months. Yeah. 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 It's a little on the light side. I agree with that assessment. Go to go to free choice and just see how how they do. And and uh, and again, those those are. Those are one of the things you're keeping records of that and just saying, okay, this this is where we were last year. If we do this again next year, then then maybe we introduce uh, free choice a little earlier or, or you know, just come with a different model. Yeah, and it was a little bit tough too because there's a lot of info out there on pasturing pigs on grass and you know what blends of you know whether it's fodder, whether you're using a seed blend in a pasture, um, you know ryegrass, bluegrass, whatever you've got out there. There, I found a lot of info on that, but when you looked at raising pigs in the forest and, you know, what mast was available, whether it was a soft mast, whether it was hard mast later in the season, um, there wasn't a lot of info out there. So I kind of just went with a baseline originally. And then now five months in kind of get, or get, I'm getting feedback on what that baseline turned out to be. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing too, that's tough. Cause I run into the same thing. A, the, the variety of mast we have in the woods, and of course, just fully understanding the yield, because uh, as you mentioned, as soon as it comes off the tree, it's gone. So you you yep. really can't you can't conceptualize okay how much how much mass do these pigs actually uh, you know, encounter? How much have they been able to to partake in because they mm-hmm. vacuum it up so quickly? And even that changes year to year. I mean, the the crop of acorns that I've seen in the woods so far this year for us uh, has been double already what I saw for the total of last fall. Um, in the, in the region. I mean, last year there were, there were no acorns on the ground. And if I was relying on that mass to feed pigs, I mean, it would have been a lot less mass for them to consume and a lot more on the feed um, versus this year where the, the acorn, I wouldn't, it's not far enough along where we can really call it bumper crop, but it looks like it could be headed that way. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's definitely uh, you know something that's completely out of your control and and can really upset the operation if you're relying on that heavily. I've I've discovered you know, when I've run as many as twenty five uh, in a group in the woods and give them free choice that. Uh, again, as you mentioned, they're, they're smart animals and they also like variety. So in my experience, they go through and they'll vacuum up all the, um, all the mass that they can get, but then mm-hmm. also return to the feeder because they, they, they like the sweetness. They like the, you know, the carbs, I guess, or you give them the energy, give them the heat that they need in the, in the cooler months. So it seems yeah, to me they, we, they kind of they're kind of figuring out what, what they want and how they want it. So I, I usually don't uh, put mass into my consideration, my calculations of weight, but also watch, Watch the amount of consumption with the feed. That's that's one of the the benefits of free choice. Of course, you can see okay, this this five hundred pounds went this far versus hey, when mass is on the five hundred pounds went a little further. Yeah, and that's something I learned as well. Was for a while I was just keeping track of how much you know how quickly I would go through a bag when I was feeding them individually. Um, but now I, I can dump a couple bags in the feeder and I know all right, it's hundred pounds. You know, check it every day or you know every other day and see how far that's gone and you know, how long it takes them to, to eat through that hundred pounds of food. Yeah. I'm curious what, uh, so you, you said your feeder right now was a homemade feeder that you had. Yep. So homemade feeder. Um, I made it out of, uh, some, some leftover two by fours and some leftover plywood that I had kicking around. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's a lot like the metal ones you would buy in the store. I think little giant makes them. Um, but basically it, it's got an awning over the, uh, the spot where the pig would eat. And there's a flap under there as well that they can lift up with their snout and kind of stick their head in. I may have built it a little bit bigger than needed to because when we first brought them home, they could actually climb into the feed <laughs> right. um, and hang out in there. And that was one or, one's way of keeping the other two from eating for a while was just to crawl into the feeder and you'd actually find them asleep in there every once in a while. So, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. King of the domain there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, well, that's the thing. Yeah. Obviously they're, they're going to grow into that feeder and, and, uh, you know, when they get so big, they may uh, they may even wreak a little havoc on that. That's that's always the thing you look at is uh, when they get big, they can become bulldozers and tear a lot of things. Yeah, up. It, it, that was something I worried a lot. I, I had showed some pictures of it um, online, and a lot of people said, "Oh, they're going to destroy that thing." And so far, fingers crossed, knock on wood, they haven't uh, chewed through it yet. So uh, I'm keeping an eye on that, though. I do have a couple tea stakes in hammered around it, and I've got it ratchet strapped to the tea stakes. That way, they're not able to knock it over. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in the woods, uh, how are you, how are you addressing it? You, you mentioned that you have a nipple system. How are you addressing wallow or, or anything like that when it comes to water? So the water and the feeder are in kind of a 16, um, we have a 16 by 16 enclosure that we had put them in when they were piglets and we were training them to the electric. Um, the way we ended up doing it was when they were trained to the wire and they were essentially big enough to kind of go out into the woods uh, we just pulled one of those 16 foot hog panels up. Um, so they still have access to that area for their food, water. Uh, the, the pig house is in there as well. And they've formed a little bit of a wallow in there um, in front of the water. They haven't, they've actually been pretty good about not letting the water from, from the barrel kind of run all over the place. Um, if it's going to be pretty hot, I'll actually go out and they dug a little bit of a wallow and I'll throw some water in there for them so they can kind of roll around in it. But, you know, again, knock on wood, we've gotten pretty lucky that they haven't tried to knock over the barrel or just emptied it out on us. Um, they seem to be pretty, pretty responsible with their water as far as pigs go. Yeah, and I would assume in, in New Hampshire, you, you all don't have to deal with the severe heat that we, we have here further south at times either. No, we had a few days this summer that were up over 95, probably a week stretch. And um, oh, wow. 
during that time, I mean, that was really the only stretch we had where it was that hot. And again, working from home, it's nice. I can go out, I can check on the pigs. Um, you know, I would go out there with the hose and I'd actually spray it down and they'd run around in it. Um, just getting, you know, wet and then rolling around in the mud. Uh, but other than that, it's been pretty good. They've been about as clean and responsible as pigs can be with not destroying the, the waterer and, you know, making a mess of it. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, so looking back in these last six months, what um, what would you say, uh, Jack, have, have been your, your biggest challenges w- with raising pigs? The biggest challenges for us have, have really been just kind of one, the learning curve, um, you know, kind of making that adjustment of like with chickens, it's very easy for us to, you know, make sure the feeders are filled, make sure the waters are filled, the electric fence is on. And, you know, if we want to kind of take off for the weekend, we can do that. Um, with the pigs, it's a little bit more involved, you know, especially running them on two strand without a perimeter fence, um, kind of adjusting our lives to, to know that these animals are in our care, um, you know, for six, seven months at a clip. Um, other than that, the challenges really haven't been too, too far along, too, too involved for us. Um, it's been a pretty easy transition to, to having these guys around. So looking at that challenge of just understanding the, the management and the, and the maintenance of that during during this time of year, um, how would you say you overcome those? Just just kind of rechange your schedule, just kind of uh, change how you do certain things? Yeah, we kind of decided when we um, that we were going to bring pigs on that we were just going to be kind of the, the winter vacation family. Um, we kind of joked that uh, we realize now why when farmers go on vacation, it's it's in the winter months. Um, so for us, it's kind of, we've adopted the after Christmas to before Easter vacation schedule, where that's kind of the period of time for the year where, you know, if we want to go take a trip, we want to go visit family far away. Um, we can do that. Um, and letting that family members know that as well, that, Hey, in the summertime, if you want to come see us, you know, you've got to come up and, and visit, visit us in our domain. Um, and everyone's been pretty understanding of that. They, they get what we're doing up here and kind of the changes that my wife and I have decided to make for us and our daughter. And it, it's been a relatively seamless transition so far. Very good. Very good. So, um, oh, sorry, I keep having these indications pop up. <laughs> oh, no problem. I don't know if you can hear that or not. Um, so looking at that, then, if... If, 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 if these challenges that, that you've overcome or you're, you're kind of looking at how that schedule is going to work out, what about um, what about things that have been maybe relatively easier than you thought on the, on the opposite end there? I didn't know it was going to be as easy as it was to move um, four, four, essentially four halves of pork. Um, at first, I had thought like, oh, great, you know, we're getting three pigs. This is going to be the really tricky part. Um, obviously for us, you know, being such a small operation, we're not going to be rolling in the cash after, after, you know, this year's pigs are are done and butchered and on their way in in the respective freezers. Um, so it wasn't necessarily something that we wanted to throw money at via Facebook marketing or Instagram marketing or, um, you know, running ads in newspapers and things like that. Um, Really, I mean, once we put word out to kind of friends and families like, hey, we have three pigs, um, you know, we're going to be raising them, you know, on forest. They're going to be eating acorns. They're going to be supplemented with feed. Um, would people like to to buy this pork? Um, 
it really kind of happened pretty quickly where we didn't even have to go through any of the, um, the larger distribution channels that we could kind of keep it within our friends and family. Um, obviously if we decide to scale this up in the future and, and go that route to kind of have a little pastured pork side business, um, it would be a little bit, we would probably have to access those channels, but so far it's been pretty, uh, pretty cool to, to keep it local and kind of see, you know, those that we know receptive to the idea. Yeah. Yeah. So in this first season, have you, have you run into anything that's, that's really just been frustrating? Have you experienced a, a circumstance, a, you know, a bad day where you're like, man, this was a mistake. I wish I'd have never done this. Have you run into that yet? There was one instance uh, a couple months ago where we had a pretty nasty group of thunderstorms rolling in. It was like one in the morning and mm. I'd gotten the notification on my phone um, from the weather channel. And at that point we didn't necessarily know how the pigs would react to an electrical storm. Um, and what ended up happening with that was I ended up going out into the woods uh, at about one thirty in the morning as it started pouring rain. Uh, and I was trying to corral the pigs into the 16 by 16 foot enclosure um, and get a hog panel up on one side just so that we had a little bit of peace of mind sleeping overnight that they weren't going to get scared by a clap of thunder and bust through the fence and run out into the night. Right. Um, that was just about the hardest thing that we've had. You know, I remember coming in from that and it was probably about two o'clock in the morning before I got in and I was soaking wet and I had to go on a trip for work the next day. And um, that was really kind of the, the low point of it. But other than that, I mean, they've been awesome. We joke that they're like a couple of little dogs running around in the woods. Um, they're definitely goofy animals. They're fun. They have personalities. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to bring about the stereotype of like the farmer sitting on his porch, sipping an iced tea at the end of the day, thinking about how great life is. But, um, <laughs> but they've definitely been on the whole of a valuable, a valuable addition to, you know, have around the homestead. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, and, I, and it's interesting, you know, those, I can, I can remember back to those experiences, the, the, just the what ifs, the first times encountering things that, that you weren't quite sure how they were going to react. And, and again, in West Virginia, we don't normally have really, really cold winters, but one particular time we actually had negative 20 Fahrenheit. So it, it got pretty cold. And I, I think it was maybe my second year raising pigs. So I just thought, okay, they've got shelter, they're in the barn, but um, actually in that situation, they had, um, they had these small house uh, hog pens that I had built. So I'm going up there and trying to tack this plastic over this door to think, okay, this is going to help you know, keep them out of this cold. If I put plastic over this door and the same situation up there in the middle of the night, you know, working by moonlight, freezing my butt off, trying to put this plastic on. And I come up next morning to check on them and they've torn all the plastic off and, and just ripped it to shreds. <laughs> and they're out there, they're out there in minus 20 degree weather, just flipping around, having a great old time. I was like, well, I guess they're not, uh, not having any issues with the cold temperatures right now. No, they're definitely not the most great, gracious uh, animals sometimes to have on the homestead. But I, I think stories like that, though, and, and kind of the one that I just spoke about with the thunder and lightning, I mean, it kind of goes to the whole idea of having pastured pigs and, you know, whether small scale or large scale. It's definitely something that the the farmer, if you will, or the caretaker, it shows that they care more about the animals than you know, somebody that's just got them on a, on a concrete floor in a warehouse, you know, with artificial lighting and yeah. they don't need to worry about these things. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's, there's a certain element there of, of husbandry because 
Um, not to say that you know, a huge commercial operation is easy way out because of the investment on the front end, but there is a lot more peace of mind when you have an animal confined and you can control it. Now, you know, disease and other things are a whole other issue, but but you're right. When you decide to let a pig be more of a pig, you know, it's an animal with a conscience. It's going to want to go where it wants to go, and, and you have to uh, be aware of that. And there's other uh, outside and environmental elements that will affect how, how well that goes. <laughs> okay, so um, looking at... So you're, you're, you're getting close to, to finishing here. So you're, you're going to be butchering in December. So at this time right now, as you and your wife sit down and kind of uh, look through some of the details, what does 2020 look like? Are you going to, are you going to continue with pastured pigs? Are you going to ramp up? Are you going to scale back? We're pro we're definitely going to continue. Um, it's a discussion that we haven't necessarily sat down and had yet. Um, we're interested to kind of see how, uh, the butchering process plays out. Like I said, we are working with Dan of uh, Mobile Butcher Meats, Mobile Meats. Um, we're actually going to be running a uh, pork butchering workshop with him as well that weekend, oh, um, where we're going to be opening it up to the public. And you know, he's got a great thing going where his level of animal husbandry is huge. I mean, he has deep respect for the animals that he's working with, um, and we really kind of want to foster that mentality amongst other people that are doing this on the small scale. Um, give me just one second. I'm letting dogs out because the wife is home and they're going to start barking. Go ahead, you guys. Callie, go ahead. Or not. You can say it. So, um, so anyway, we're going to be working with him and have that going on. Um, it's something that he and I have talked about doing regularly in the community. Um, it's a cool opportunity to kind of rope more people in and get them involved in this kind of small scale production where you're more involved. And for us, I mean, the, the product is definitely a good thing to have at the end of the at the end of the day. But it also is nice to know that we're providing that level of you know product for other people that we care about as well. So I don't know if we're going to scale it up, but we're definitely going to keep it going. Possibly yeah. grow it just by you know small increments here and there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, are you looking to maybe expand some pasture or put some rotational elements into your woods there? Or? Yeah, we've talked about actually. Um, having some logging done this winter after the pigs are off pasture uh we've got about three acres out back that we could turn into kind of a more wide open pasture um the timber would be worth selling and it would be worth seeding that and getting it set up uh, we don't have anything set in stone on that so far pasturing them on for us has been pretty positive for us so we're not really set in stone either way yeah. um we have talked about adding goats to the the homestead as well so if we go that route we would have, you know, obviously want to have some more grassy type pasture for the goats, even though they do typically pretty well in um, forest, they'll blow through their, their kind of mass that they have pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty voracious when it comes to that as well. Yeah. Woody, Woody understory. I mean, they're great at clearing land, but it's kind of tough to keep goats on, you know, in the woods, unless you're moving them pretty frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, so as somebody who's who's got uh, you know, this first season, you're, you're, it's about to sunset, and this is your, your first attempt and, and where you're at right now, what, would, what advice would you give to anyone that's maybe listening to this podcast that, that hasn't taken that plunge yet? They're, they're thinking they're where you were last year. They're thinking about this. Uh, what advice would you give? I would say jump in with both feet. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, we've talked about it for a few years, and we were kind of always just, you know, we had that not necessarily a fallback plan, but we had that easier plan of, you know, just getting our pork from a friend that raised pigs and, you know, not necessarily having to do it ourselves. And, uh, 
when we decided to jump in and do it, we just kind of went in with both feet and it really ended up, you know, on the back end, not being as big of an, you know, as much work or as much intensity as we expected it to be. And, uh, you know, I would say the biggest thing you can do is just do it. I mean, find somebody local, get a couple feeders. Um, like you said, three is a great number to start out with. And at the end of the season, you know, you're not stuck with too much pork that you won't be able to eat through it in the course of a year. Um, you can give away to friends and family, or, you know, you can sell two pigs worth of it and actually make your money back and pay for your own pig. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, Jack, if, if people want to know more about uh, what you've got going up there, you, you do have some social media and some web presence. If you don't mind, share uh, share that with us. Yeah, so we're on what I kind of refer to as the big three. Uh, we don't have our own website yet, but we are on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, you can look us up, just The Mindful Homestead um, on Facebook and YouTube, and then we're at The Mindful Homestead on Instagram. Uh, and if you're interested in possibly the – uh, pork butchering workshop that we're going to be doing. Uh, the date on that is December 7th. Um, I just worked out pricing with uh, Dan today, and we're going to be doing, it's going to be a full day course, um, $35 just for the course itself. And then $50, uh, we're going to do a prepared breakfast and lunch if you wanted to lunch. So we wanted to make it really accessible. We're not looking to make money off of it. Um, we really wanted to open it up and kind of let people come in and see the process that, Hey, it's not just raising the animal, but at the end of it, you know, it is something that you can do at home yourself if you'd like, or if you don't want to do it, there's guys like Dan out there that are providing an awesome service for the small time producer. All right. Very good. And you said you're in Southwest New Hampshire, Southwestern New Hampshire. Yeah. We're in a town called Greenfield. Um, if you're from the area and you don't know where Greenfield is, we're kind of split the distance between Manchester and Keene. Hmm. Um, but if you're not from the area and you want to know where we are, we're about an hour and a half uh, northwest of Boston. Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, all right. Well, I, uh, I, I, was, I was looking at some of your social media as we were talking there. Uh, one, of your fa- uh, one of your YouTube thumbnails. Um, is that you with the very long beard? That is me with the very long beard, yes. Uh, I have a long red beard, which I'm pretty well known for. I'm digging that big time. I have absolutely no <laughs> beard game, so I am very jealous. I have man envy right now, big time. It's taken a while. I mean, I've, I've had the beard since 2003. I haven't cut it off. It's, it's been <laughs> slowly getting longer and longer over the years. But uh, it's become a, a part of me to the point where it was put in my wedding vows that I wasn't allowed to cut it off unless my wife told me to. <laughs> there you go. Very good. Awesome. Well, Jack, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on and, and talking with us about uh, getting started out. I, I think you've had some uh, some some good uh, good fortune, and, and you've got some good experiences already. And I, I pray that uh, your butchering goes well, and and next year you you have another successful year of raising hogs. Awesome! Thanks for having me on, Troy. I appreciate it. Well, have a good evening. Take care. Well, again, I appreciate Jack coming on and, and taking the time. Yeah, it's it's. It's kind of a hurdle to overcome, you know, to, to come on and be interviewed when you're just just getting started out and and, um, and you're not quite sure what uh, questions you're going to have to answer. So I appreciate Jack uh, taking the time to come on. I, I think he's on the right track. He seems to have uh, already had some good experiences, um, some good um, um, farming practices there. So I think I think he's going to be in good shape moving forward. Well, if you know anyone else that would be a good uh, guest to have on our podcast, by all means, please drop me a note. You can go to redtoolhouse.com, click on our Pastured Pig podcast link, 
and you'll see uh, ways that you can contact me there or just contact me directly, Troy at redtoolhouse.com. Well, I pray everyone's having a great week and that things are going well on the, on the farm. Take care, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.